Ages explorers and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. In today's episode and discussion, we have a special guest, Dr. Mark Weisman. Mark is a Celtic Norse uh, shaman with a past as a Protestant minister who uh, serves uh, the veteran uh, community basically veterans with uh, PTSD, helping them uh, move past suffering into empowerment. In our discussion today, we will go through Mark's journey and as many successful or accomplished healers, he has a past with his own traumatic experiences of uh, homelessness, addictions, uh, uh, self-destruction and so forth that he has now turned into gifts Uh, for those around him that seek him out for his uh, consultations and help. So without further ado, enjoy the discussion. Mark comes from more of a shamanistic tradition, um, which he will also go into. But uh, looking at his website, one of the quotes we have from his website is that my teachings are about finding the balance between the physical world and the spiritual world. Uh, and that, of course, is applicable to a lot of spiritual traditions. It is uh, the whole process where, you know, some uh, I think New Age, New Age uh, traditions talks uh, talks about uh, ascension. I tend to talk more about kind of bringing the spiritual down into my physical experience, but it's finding that balance and uh, as anything, finding balance between your uh, between the feminine and the masculine within you. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, women in today's society, it's balancing out a bit, but, you know, tend to be overwhelmingly feminine. And then the masculine tend to be overwhelmingly masculine. And it's finding that racing up both uh, values within ourselves to find that balance. Um, it's not... Uh, a matter of being macho or being uh, coquette as well. <laughs> it's uh, the energies that we hold within. So, as I said, we have uh, Mark Weisman here with us today, and uh, I'm going to allow him to introduce himself to uh, to us and uh, tell us a little bit more about his uh, background and path. Hello, Mark. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so to introduce a little bit of my path, uh, I formerly uh, an ordained minister with the Christian Church. Um, uh, many many moons of study and and many travels have led me to a path that included my ancestry, which is where I have come upon the the practices and the understandings of the the study. Uh, of, of shamanism. Uh, during that path, I uh, I discovered quite a bit outside of what was traditional or what was uh, societal norms for uh, theology and and the spirituality. And uh, again, kind of went back to my my ancestry, uh, as mentioned before the show. Um, I come from a long line of Danes, predominantly Northern Germanic Danes. Um, when I say Danes, my, my ancestry goes back before 
Denmark was Denmark to the Germanic tribe, the Danes, who were predominantly Celt. And so most of my practice and most of my, my study is Celtic Norse. So um, that's kind of where I come from. Uh, I've spent about 35 years in the practice uh, between the Christian church and, and uh, the Celt. I've worked uh, predominantly, I've worked with uh, returning veterans uh, to help them kind of reestablish uh, their mental uh, boundaries once they return home from particularly combat. So that's, that's kind of my, my path. Um, now, uh, my path leads me all over uh, as a shaman and a healer. Uh, I, I travel quite a, quite a bit and uh, get to meet thousands of wonderful people. So to help them find their spiritual uh, balance um, between the physical and the spiritual and helping them understand the, the, the growth that they have to go through to, uh, to see success, to see mental success and, and certainly spiritual success. I don't know if that, that uh, encompasses everything there, but. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll uh, dive in a little bit uh, deeper there, I think, because, uh, you know, many of us that kind of end up at this place where we are helping and supporting others that are going through their challenges and their journeys, uh, we come through from the challenges that we are we ourselves have experienced um and i find in my practice anyway that uh, the people that are drawn to me even though i don't advertise it as such um have similar backgrounds similar uh, core wounding and so forth as i do um so i know from uh, our discussions and and your uh, uh, material that you share on your website that you similarly come through uh, kind of through your challenges and it, using your challenges as a tool to help others. Um, do you want to talk a little bit uh, about that just to give a background of uh, what, where the platform you come from, so to speak? The, well, I, I think like everyone, I, I think, you know, I traveled uh, looking back using uh you know my spiritual entities now and being able to have that that luxury if you will of of hindsight i've now been able to look back and, and see the journey for what it's been um which included a, a dark time in my life where uh i lost my father and and went on a very destructive uh binge if you will uh and fortunately, uh, the spirits and, and Odin certainly uh, inter intersected my life and kind of got me back where I needed to be, or at least in the direction, uh, allowed me to grow both spiritually and mentally um, to, to become where, where I'm at. Um, but that journey included, you know, near death um, experiences um, and, and a very dark place where I, I had no reference points. And, and that's, 
that really is what set me on the path, I think, to where I arrived today. Yeah, because you, you had uh, periods of, uh, I understand you, well, of homelessness. You, you stayed in a tent up in the mountains. And so do you find that those sessions, if you like, or those periods in time that they were... So in hindsight, do you find them a, a support for the journey that you're on today? I, I believe, again, using the gift of hindsight, we can say those were moments in time that Odin, Freya uh, uh, kind of brought me back to a place where I was able to be connected with again. I think those were those moments in my life where uh, I spent the time on the mountainside, uh, lots of meditation there. So a lot of clarity came out of that. Um, and then the, the times I lived in the culvert there in Tucson, I believe those, those moments, uh, you know, reconnected me to the earth. It reconnected me um, to kind of to get me within the boundaries of the path that would ultimately lead to where uh, where I am. So I, they were necessary. Yeah, and after this, uh, it was after this period that you entered uh, the ministry, right? Correct. So uh, during this period, um, I understand you you connected with the uh, uh, the uh, nature. Uh, right. Not till this, and as we would say in Swedish, uh, the. Uh, right. uh, the, uh, right. And, and bringing me back to a place where the communication between the spiritual realm and the physical realm, those moments in time, I believe, were those moments where I could kind of check in, if you will, to the back to that spiritual realm and and able to get my mind kind of at least back within the boundaries that they could keep they could help me hmm. eventually find my way. So what was it? Because you talk a lot about these uh, nature beings and the connecting with Odin and Freya. Was this frames of reference that you had since before? Or was this kind of something that downloads that came to you as you were out connecting with nature, connecting with the, the basics of humanity, essentially? I, I, I believe that while I didn't recognize it for what it was at the time. Right. Again, with the luxury of hindsight and meditation, now I can look back and go, that's what was happening. That's, that's what caused this trajectory change, which would ultimately lead me here. So the, the, it wasn't necessarily that. For some people, you have that. Some people have that kind of subjective or, or objective experience where they experience a kind of outside of their physical self uh, i'm not necessarily one of those i experience it more uh, subjectively within myself in uh, in my mind's eye or through my uh, emotions or so forth so uh, these experiences were they visceral in the external to you or were they uh, more traditional internal experiences i i, I would have to say uh, overall at the time they were happening they were extrinsic 
And it wasn't until later that when I applied the hindsight and, and of course, having spiritual entities now that I can communicate with and can help explain what these pieces meant. So helping, having them help me understand that these were moments in time where I believe my spiritual self kind of reconnected um, with the with the entities, particularly the Lanvedi, but but Freya and and Odin, kind of it was my moment where I kind of checked in. And again, I didn't realize it at the time what the value was until I had the the luxury of hindsight, being able to look back and say, "Oh, this is what it was." Mm. But when you were in that in that situation, it wasn't necessarily clear to you what you were experiencing. Correct. Right. Correct. I think that's quite common for a lot of us. We, <laughs> especially when you have that awakening and you you're sitting there and trying to make sense of it, and you're not supposed to make sense of it at the time. Uh, it's supposed to be a memory bank for you that you connect the dots and connect the pieces at a later date. Right. right? That's exactly what I think it was. It was just at the time I had no idea what was going on. I don't think, um, but it was that moment where I, I was kind of reassociating the tether between myself and my spiritual self to kind of get that connection going again. Yeah. So, when was it that you connected with the? the shamanistic tradition of the uh, uh, Celtic Norse uh, shamanistic traditions? The, the shaman, my switch to shamanism uh, really occurred in 2018. And then um, the, uh, obviously, as I, I post on the website, my, my vision uh, occurred in 2020. So um, those, those things are still fairly fairly fresh okay exciting well so it's a uh, uh, so do you find that these moments were key moments in um kind of you realizing yourselves uh, yourself then uh, yes. and what impact has that had on you know moving through kind of into mental well-being i think it has a ton of clarity and it has a lot of clarity because it it now explains a lot of things and and i i draw a parallel when you're you're learning a new skill and you're doing something and, and i'm just uh certainly using an analogy but if we're learning to ice skate as an example mm -hmm. and the first thing we want to do is uh be able to move forward and stop and, and we go out and we practice and we fall and we practice and we fall and we practice and we fall. And then comes that, that one day when you're on the ice and you, you push off and you skate, there's no falling, you, you put your toes together, if you will, and you stop without holding onto a railing or anything. And that feeling that you get of accomplishment that you've that you've made it to that i think that's where much clarity comes from 
when dealing in the spiritual realm and where I've arrived certainly is at this place where it's all clear now and it's things make sense all of a sudden all the pieces and this is what I was mentioning before about the Lanvetti how they were using hindsight to kind of backfill my whole history starting from a very young age um, even before I was born as we speak about my ancestors and passing down um, certain skills and abilities that I, I, I just never had a purview of until this clarity came around in, uh, as I mentioned, a very few five or so years ago, right. where things started putting kind of coming together and, and all of a sudden the clarity was there and the understanding was there. And so, um, and that led me to the night that uh, I received the, the vision of Odin. And uh, so that's, that's where I've been a sworn Ulf Hefner since those days. Interesting, interesting. So <clears throat> um, am I correct in uh, translating uh, Ulf Hefner as uh, uh, Wolf uh, Shepherd? It's, uh, there's a couple of different translations, but for the most part, it, breaking it down to its lowest common denominator, if you will, uh, it's Wolf Pelt is all it okay. really means. Uh, and it, is, it is kind of the opposite, or not the opposite, but the brother of the berserker, and the mm -hmm. berserkers were of the bear pelt. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so the uh, so it is the uh, shaman, the the medicine person. It was uh, the the person who held the uh, higher knowledge, as it were. Right. Right. And okay. that's that's really what they were when they weren't in combat. Um, they they worked with, primarily. They were known for the their association with the group called the Lenvetti, and that's right. the group whom I interact with. Um, and they could actually control. Now, in in the days of of antiquity, there we find that Ulf Hefner able to engage the Lenvetti in in combat. They right. could actually provide uh, uh, provide natural. Um, actions if you will against the enemy and and so the the Ulf Hefnars could deploy uh the Lanvetti to help them combat in in those days of unifying Norway interesting yeah no so uh, I, I'm sure many of you have seen the uh the series of Vikings on uh, uh Amazon, Amazon Prime I think it is on uh, at least here in Europe um and you have the uh, the uh, what's he called the uh, the the guy who hasn't got any eyes, um, and that that's the uh, Wolf Hedner, uh, I, I think, right? Right. Okay. Probably. I, I have not seen uh, that that show, so I can't. Oh, right. <laughs> you you surprise me, Mark. You surprise me. I, I do. <laughs> yeah, you know, for as modern as I am, I. I Technology still gets me sometimes. Yeah, uh, no, it's actually uh, from from a historical perspective. It's uh, not that, I, at least not in this lifetime. I wasn't there personally, uh, but uh, I certainly have ancestry that goes all the way back there too, uh, both in Sweden and in in Denmark. So, uh, 
Um, but the um, so it, it, from that perspective, it it is quite accurate in the in the portrayal uh, in the societal structure and you know how women are you know fighting alongside the men and all of that stuff. So it's it's very interesting and it it does have uh, a constant uh, background of their spirituality and uh, how they approached, um, you know, their connection with the gods and all of that. So it's, it's very interesting. And um, so it's intriguing for a layman like myself. So um, I'll have to, I will definitely have my assistant. Let me know this, this show. Absolutely. I'll send you the link. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. But it's um, so we were talking about before, uh, the the kind of approach that you have is that you really want to uh, address and approach an, anyone. It doesn't matter of the kind of ideology, uh, ideology or anything. It's uh, you very much like myself believe that the uh, individual uh, spirituality, that's where we need to start from, right? Correct. And, 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 and that's exactly right. I think, you know, if you boil away all of the, the labels and, the, and the, the dressings for Sunday, I think we all come down to a very finite set of common elements that are a part of what we refer to as our spirituality. Um, and by understanding its influence and its impact in our lives, we can have a better potential of understanding how that's going to affect us emotionally and then more importantly how that emotion alters uh the memories that are stored in our brains so that we technically can alter what we learn and how we learn by our emotional control and so that's kind of where that understanding your spirituality, I think they're all tied together. They're one big uh, group. And by understanding one, you get the other. Yeah, I think you can go to any of the quote unquote nature religions or nature traditions around the world, and there will be commonalities across all of them, even though they have not interacted, uh, you know, whether you go to South America and then to Northern Europe, uh, to the Sami or, uh, right. you know, any of the, uh, kind of those traditions. And they will kind of come from the same perspective and have similar, you, you can draw parallels between the different uh, practices, right? Right. And I, and, and I agree, even if you look at, uh, you know, the, the nation of Islam or, or Judaism or, or even Christianity in, in the modern uh, monotheistic practices, I think if you, you boil away and you, you take away the practices and, and all of the Tao the Shao, right? you're right, and, and you get down to the actual theology of, of a relationship with one's deity, I think they're all the same. They're all the same. And it's just a matter of the, the associated practices whether it uh, uh, creates more a negative stigma or whether it creates more of an openness of provision without expectation. I think if you can get to that point, 
we we're going to see a parallel in all spiritual understandings regardless what what label you want to call you know put on it mm-hmm. for for society's sake so mark t- talk to me a little bit about the so i read up a little bit on the kind of nature to the traditions uh, perspective of on um, you know mental well-being mental health men- mental illness um, you know schizophrenia these types <laughs> of more uh, severe uh, uh, psychological uh, imp- challenges that we can have um, so talk to me a little bit about the practices and traditions that are kind of are different from what we would experience in kind of more Western cultures? Well, I I don't know that there's a lot of, I mean, something that you can draw to other than that, learning how to still one's mind, whether that be using meditative practices, whether you understand and can constructively use the dream state and those types of engagement that allows us to still our minds. Um, One of the things that I do, particularly with with individuals who have experienced psychological trauma, um, particularly heavy duty, or I call it heavy duty um, psychological trauma, is that we practice it finding that peace within the mind, the peace within the heart, kind of get that stabilized and then we can start addressing some of those emotional pieces in the background. And we've, we've talked about um, many different things that affect our mental stability, if you will, that we may not even be aware of. Um, and, and certainly, as we called out the, the dogma of some of these modern day religions, Put these nuggets of, of uh, you know, a, a way that we as parents typically try to change our children is we use that shame mechanism. And it's like, you know, you can't do that and you shouldn't do that. And, you know, you'll go blind or whatever. And the shame that we're applying, we are attempting to lodge in these memories of guilt in the mind, which are intrinsically driven to try to change behavior. Well, these are the same kind of ideas that we see in the the monotheistic practices where the the monotheistic practices is applying these shames in hopes that they get enough guilt in your mind to force a behavior change. That's what they're trying to do. And the problem with this is in many cases, we are born with these nuggets already put into our mind by our parents inadvertently and by no means am i blaming my my mother for anything (laughs) but but these these little emotional and what we find is when we get this large psychological trauma our brain just runs out of bandwidth Mm. using a, a technical term um it just runs out of room because it has these little memories kind of scattered around through our brains that are just emotionally charged and 
and it was done inadvertently in many cases. In, in some cases, such as the, some of the monotheistic practices, not so innocently, but nonetheless, these emotional memories are then triggered. And when we find people who are, are taking on new psychological trauma, they just run out of room to process. And so by, by working through and, and teaching how to still the mind and still the heart, we can kind of get to a place where we can start identifying what those, those emotional memories are, are tucked back in the corner somewhere. And, and we deal with them. We clear them out because we know that <clears throat> when we face them and we kind of address them head on, they begin to kind of lose their, their value right? They're, they're not so emotionally charged anymore. And then we find that we gain some headspace above this monstrous uh, trauma that we just got. And we can start putting action steps together. We can put these coping mechanisms in place that then allows us to, uh, from a coping mechanism, we're going to build behavior from behavior becomes personality. And once we've reached that point, essentially, you know, we know that the, the damage has been done. There's, there's nothing I can, I can't go into the serviceman's mind and say, that didn't matter. Forget it. Uh, make it go away. You can't do that. What you can do is say, all right, look, this is, you're going to have these memories. You're going to remember those times of, of war and, and the, whatever you saw that, that caused this amount of, carnage in your mind how you deal with it then going forward is kind of what will define you and so that's kind of what i work with is is taking these ancient teachings of how to kind of clear the mind and clear the heart through uh meditation and and just teaching them how to do that and then we can address these emotional nuggets back in the memory get rid of them so that we can get some headspace and then we can start working on things like uh, I have a process which is stop, breathe, think, act. And that and the, the hardest step, obviously, for, for everyone I've, I've worked with is that stop, that first stop. But once we get past that one, the breathe, think, act, um, those are easy, right? Because I've arrested the behavior and now I can think. And if I think, then I can make the proper, you know, I'm not letting it trigger me. I'm not letting that emotional charge drive me. I'm driving the emotional charge instead. And that's really what I try to do with, with the, the men and women whom I work with. Yeah, no, it's, it's that uh, energy that is taken on uh, and becomes part of the belief system, as it were. And I... Um, I was listening to the radio this morning and uh, the, uh, they had an interview with, uh, see if I can get his name right, I think it was Monty Lyman. Um, yeah, Monty Lyman, who wrote the book, The Painful Truth, and it's a new science of why we hurt uh, and how we can heal. And it's really, what he was talking about is changing the perception of pain because uh, for example uh, in hypnotherapy and carol who's my colleague here in hypnotherapy um, we can manage 
pain, physical pain, as well as mental pain. I mean, that's what we do as in psychotherapy or in healing. It is essentially separating the memories from the pain, right? So if you have a memory like PTSD from a war zone, every time that's triggered, it triggers a pain response, an emotional pain response, right? right. And so the pain is there as a warning system, not as an indicator. Um, and oftentimes we're, you know, once it's served its purpose, we're the ones that we're supposed to let that pain go, but we don't, we hold on to it. Right. Uh, we, we attach to it. And uh, they, it was uh, this whole discussion about pain uh, in the scientific community and the uh, uh, medical community started with the, this construction worker who jumped down on a plank where there was a nail and the nail went straight through the boots. And they went to the hospital. He was in excruciating pain, you know, off the charts. They gave him heavy pain medication and tried to calm him down and it wouldn't help. He was in excruciating pain. And they cut away the, carefully cut away the, uh, the boot. And it turned out that the nail had missed everything and gone up between the toes. But nice. because he perceived that right. the rusty nail had gone through his foot, the, the brain received as, as pain to the level of where it actually had, would have gone through his foot. Right. So, so this is where, uh, you know, in uh, hypnotherapy, uh, we can actually work with pain and, and actually IBS is um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome is one of these uh, conditions that uh, hypnotherapy has proven to be uh, very, very uh, beneficial for. Um, and it is this pain management that we can move around. So uh, my, my colleague here <laughs> has put up his hands. I'll let him come in. Hey, Carol. Thank you very much. It's very interesting what you are saying. And uh, what is there is more indication to that, like with all of the phantom limbs um, studies that you know, people were putting like the artificial limb and they were stroking and people experienced the physical sensation. But just to add to it, it's uh, very often what is causing the pain is the relationship that we have with the stimuli. So for example, if I go to the gym and I decide that I will train hard, I will basically what I'm doing while training is destroying my muscle, breaking them down. So that's causing pain, but I can somehow tolerate that pain because my relationship with that pain is that this pain makes me stronger, makes me better. I can actually enjoy it, right? I can actually enjoy it. But actually the pain that I don't want to impose on myself, I perceive as negative. So looking from the kind of the biological point of view, the pain that I inflict by going to the gym and pain that I experience by kind of pinching myself is the same. So where is the difference? The difference is the way I have the relationship with that pain. So this is very important as well. And the hypnotherapy is super useful tool in, in that can help you change that perception. The same with meditation, because the meditation can teach you that, you know, that pain appears in that moment. It's not, it doesn't live in the moment that's just gone. And it doesn't live in that moment that will be, or, you know, in the next couple of seconds or minutes, it is now. 
and us it comes and it goes it's not constant you can see it and perceive it as constant but nothing in life is everything go comes and goes right. so that is just my small contribution thank you <laughs> no thank you and actually uh, the phantom limb syndrome there uh, you can take that even further there's uh, this technology i'm not uh, sure you're familiar with it it's called uh, uh, biofield imaging um, and what, what they've done is they've taken photos of someone who's uh, lost their arm from the elbow down and uh, but they still feel phantom pains and when they take uh, they do a biofield imaging of the arm, they can actually see energetically that the arm is still there, right? right? And when they then apply energy healing on it and remove that phantom part of it and basically bring the energy back into the body, those phantom pains now disappear. So this really goes to uh, kind of back to talking about the it's this in energy imbalance that we experience oftentimes that then causes the uh, the mental level to experience the pain so whether it being uh, you know through uh, manifested through depression or anxiety whatever it may be it's it is that uh, imbalance and we talked about that in the very beginning here that you know it's finding that balance within ourselves to find that wellness, right, Mark? I, I agree, and 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 to some of your points, and and certainly your colleagues' points, what I've come to understand now uh, with a lot of channeling and, and meditation and, and pondering um, is this idea that if you think of your mind as an empty box, just find a cardboard box in your home, and we're going to leave that box closed but empty. This is us humans at birth. Uh, we know we know we're born with the autonomic nervous system, which is outside this box, and so that's going to take over the heart, the lungs, the blood, and all that stuff that it does. But when we think about our thoughts. And, and our, what we know and, and what we think is this empty box. And then take that box and we're going to drive five hoses into that box. So we're going to connect up our five hoses. And this is the only ways we can get something in the box is from these five hoses. And these five hoses are our senses. Mm -hmm. Their sight, their hearing, their taste, their smell, their touch. Right. And so that's how all information comes into our 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 psyche, our knowledge, our our brain. Now, if those five hoses are working wonderfully, as most of us they do, we get information, we process it, we we store it, and, and we make these little memory pieces that fill the box. And those memory pieces are then connected to other memory pieces so that we have related data. This is what I refer to it as. I, I'm going completely off science or out of the science realm, more into my just practice. 
is that I find that these related memories now are as, as important as the original memory. So if we say shoes, shoes have a bunch of related material that says, well, over the year, this is tennis shoes and tennis shoes then has its whole gamut over here. These are boots. Um, they're still considered shoes, but they're boots and boots have their related data. All of these pieces are put together. Now, as this sensory data is being put into our brain, it flows through these hoses that are filled with chemicals, the chemical balance of your body, of you. And that chemical balance is incredibly unique because just its contents are built on your genetics and on, on what I call the, the high strongness of yourself, right? So if you're a little bit more uh, alpha-based or you're a little bit more worry-based, you're going to have a different pH balance than someone who is otherwise not, right? This affects all sensory input to the brain, all of it, every piece, because we know every piece of knowledge has to come in through these five pieces, these five hoses. And the chemistry affects how we receive data. And in my, in my practice, we talk a lot about, and your, your topic of pain is, is very relevant here, in that we know there are times where people have essentially run for 50 miles on a broken leg to get away. You know, they were escaping a prison camp or, or whatever they were doing. And they wound up going this incredible distance on broken limbs. So, so we have a, a monster amount of physical pain that could have been applied to the brain, yet they were able to block it mm -hmm. for whatever reason. They just totally block it out. This blockage, I believe, is caused by this chemical balance. It's the chemistry of your brain that says we don't we don't count this this data that we're receiving from our sensory input. We're not counting it for whatever reason, whether it be uh, uh, I have this other thing that's occupying too much of my brain and I can't accept it, or I've learned to focus, and this goes to a little bit what your colleague was saying, when we exercise and we, we, we're burning those muscles and they, they hurt and, and a lot of pain, but we're going to work through it and we're going to build our muscle. So we're focused on the, the, the outcome in lieu of the, the process of getting there, the pain. And so our brain is able to do that for us. What I try to ensure people understand is that in the same way that we can consciously block these things or unconsciously for that matter so too can our spiritual connection because spiritual connections can can happen where we trigger an emotional memory in the brain which then alters the chemistry which then alters all the incoming sensory data after that. So now all of our, you know, if, if we had a spiritual moment and then we turned and we tried to make breakfast, 
the chances are we wouldn't remember how to make breakfast. Maybe. I, I don't know how people spiritual. For me, I don't make breakfast because I know that after I've had a spiritual moment and I felt the spirit, I know that my body chemistry will change. It will change for the good. It will change for the bad. And this really stems from my ancestry where we talk about men who entered battle in, in these frenzied rages. That's, that's where the berserker and the Ulfhefnars kind of come into my processing is to say that that's what they were doing is they were altering their mind's chemistry to then, um, in their case, uh, rumor or the legends say that they couldn't be hurt by iron or fire in battle because they entered this frenzied rage. And so in much the same way, I think that spirituality has the potential of altering our basic psychology. Mm -hmm. And so accepting that and saying, okay, I know this happens. How do I manage it? Because there's obviously a difference, right? We can either be managed or we can manage. And this is, this comes back to another one of my core philosophies and that is that we live by intention we intentionally live we we have the abilities the knowledge wisdom to live intentionally to go out and make our way to make our minds the way we want them to or we can subscribe to what i refer to as the fates and allow the universe to dictate how we're going to live but that choice is ours mm -hmm. and so living intentionally is what i try to promote uh amongst all the, the people i get to work with well as a, as a side note that it is interesting that you mentioned the the altered chemistry because uh, the the vikings uh, especially especially the berserkers they would uh, take a, um, uh, drink mushroom tea before going into battle, right? So they, they essentially take psychedelics. Uh, that would then help them to go berserk. And that's why they were <laughs> so ferocious. Uh, and uh, so and we're looking today at how psilocybin is being uh, tried in uh, as a pharmacopoeia, uh, uh, or psychopharmacopoeia in, uh, in terms of helping uh, with depression and uh, psychological uh, challenges. So absolutely, it, it's very apt to kind of make that parallel because it, absolutely you are changing that and uh, the chemistry. But uh, the chemistry, as you say, it's the, the uh, senses. How do you interpret? The brain only takes in the information. And then it's up to you to interpret it or process it and say, this is how I perceive it. And we tend to perceive it through the lens of our past experiences. Right, um, right. And then, so if we've experienced pain, then we're going to perceive it as pain. Right. And then we're going to re-experience it as pain. And it's our job to change that perception Agreed. of the experience uh, so that we can say, you know what? And this is something I, I my fa new favorite expression, but you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, suffering is something we choose to do. 
um, so we can make that change. Uh, go to Carol, go ahead. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I found it very, very interesting what you were saying uh, with the how mind can alter the physical state. And actually, there is so much research that I have encountered recently, and this is such a great area of study that, for example, there were multiple studies done on sports performance when, for example, people were asked to do engage in three weeks visualization and people were divided into three groups. One group was just asked, okay, um, and it was about the improvement of basketball or, or precise, um, yeah, the, the hitting the target in the baseball uh, uh, or basketball. And one group was the control group, so they didn't do any physical exercises at all. Second group was practicing for 10 or 15 minutes every day physically. And the third group was just visualizing. And what they found that after three weeks of the, uh, of the, of the, of the study, the first group, of course, no improvement at all, but the difference between the group that was visualizing and the group that was physically practicing was improved, but the difference between those groups was not statistically significant at all. So what it indicates that actually that mental processing have the real physical impact or the impact on your physical performance. And we know that like as well, that there is a lot of studies from like weightlifting and different uh, aspects of the um, sports performance, or even the things like uh, the record breaking by Richard Bannister, who was the first person who broke that record of uh, running one mile under four minutes. Like it, it was thought that it was no achievable, but when he broke it, when he broke that record, now a lot of people have since broke that record and are improving. But it was it was just that, that the threshold that yeah oh actually it is believed and so many people are actually doing it. So that you know what is mental the what is the thought can manifest itself physically. But with that thought, with that precision, with that determination, everything is possible. So thank you very much for your uh, wisdom that you shared with us today. I think that uh, I don't know as much wisdom as it is just experiences, um, but I, I do remember, to your point, um, them having studies done uh, many, many, many years ago about the men uh, who were uh, POWs from the Vietnam War and how there were two individuals. Uh, one individual, um, he worked on his golf game while in prison in, in Vietnam, and um, I guess, according to the studies, actually picked up a few strokes. He, he actually got better, even though he had no, no real world experience then. He was completely doing it in his mind. So to your point there, that's exactly accurate. And then another individual, I guess, had a copy of the, uh, the monotheistic practice, uh, holy text, and he memorized the, the, the book from beginning to end. And um, <clears throat> what we find is you're exactly right in that if we can synthetically build the same chemistry in the brain, whether we do it visually or actually physically, because the brain doesn't recognize a lot of these muscle pieces um, we can actually create a very similar uh, experience with just visual, with just visualizing and, and able to synthetically, if you will, manipulate our chemistry 
Um, one of the things that has uh, I've recently uh, studied with a colleague is how, the, and we, we were talking about this chemistry, and we talked about how throughout your lifetime, you will actually alter your own DNA using this chemistry and how it actually, um, we see when uh, men and women go to combat and they're just overrun in their minds with this trauma that it changes them at a fundamental DNA genetic level because of the emotional and this chemistry that's happening in your body. And the unfortunate reality is that in many cases, this, these changes that are brought on by this chemistry, you can't do anything about. I mean, the chemistry is in your body. So you have to learn to still your mind to rebalance your chemistry and kind of move forward in a more thoughtful process in lieu of letting the chemistry kind of overwhelm you. And so um, very, very important, uh, you know, I've discovered through many thousands of interviews with, with servicemen and women, how important that chemistry and that balance of that chemistry is. I mean, you, you think of your pH balance, which, if you're not familiar, means potential hydrogen. But if you think about your pH balance in your body, the, the variance is very small. It's, it's, I mean, you can come out of balance either top or bottom very easily. Uh, you know, one uh, in, in my shape, in my current shape, which is pear, by the way, um, my shape, uh, if I were to go outside and run a mile, if I didn't actually die, um, my pH balance would be thrown out of this atmosphere because my body is just not designed to do that anymore. Um, you know, I, I left those days behind me long back before my beard was white. So um, by, by making sure we, we keep that balance in the, the pH in our potential hydrogen, we, we possess the ability uh, much in the same way as you've just mentioned with your uh, elite athletes, we can do that for relaxation as well. And that allows us to bring our minds just to still the mind, to still the heart, and to let us learn. And that's, that's a very critical key, I believe, to, to life and, and, and certainly a healthy life, because it allows us to clear out some of that waste, some of those wasteful thoughts. And we can now process incoming data more efficiently and, and more in line with what we're time, uh, trying to do moving forward. Well, and this also goes to uh, the, the importance of approaching our life and our health from a kind of a holistic perspective of body, mind, energy, uh, spiritual. So we, we can't leave one aspect behind because then that becomes the weakest link. And then it doesn't matter how much you do the other things. Uh, you, you still don't have the whole, the whole healing going on. Right. 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 And that's, that's exactly right. Because if, if we go through our lives and we, <clears throat> we want to rule out and, and many people do many people try it. 
they say, oh, I'm not spiritual. I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm not this. I'm not, I don't want to be a part of that. Well, you are a part of it. Your acceptance of that fact allows you to then manage it so that you're living more intentionally and not being just affected, being overrun, being, you know, beat up, so to speak. You, you can actually drive in lieu of being driven. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really what I, tr- I tried to do with all the people that I deal with is I tried to help them understand that even if, if you swear on, no pun intended, a stack of Bibles, that you are not religious, you don't believe in the spiritual, the spiritual is a bunch of hocus pocus, leave me alone with that stuff, you're being affected. Because we live in a spiritual world. We're spiritual beings at the very core of who we are. And the sooner that we can wrap our mind around that and kind of go, okay, so even if I don't want to practice and I don't want to go every Sunday and I don't want to, I don't want to do the things like everyone else does, but I, I recognize them as a spiritual being, I want to control the interface. I want to be in charge of that. And living intentionally, that's, that's kind of where I'm going there, is that I want to drive. I want to be in charge. And so I need to learn how to manage this, even if I don't want to be. It's, it's a fact of life. We live in a spiritual world. We're spiritual beings at our very core. Um, I, I say that all the time so that people really understand that there's a part of us that we must deal with. We must embrace for us to truly live intentionally and successfully. Well, I think, I think the unfortunate challenge is that when you say we're all spiritual beings, people see that as a religious uh, indoctrination or a religious dogma, and they go, no, 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 no. And right. it, it, it's no different than saying you have a mental aspect to yourself, you have a physical aspect, and you have a spiritual aspect. Because that spiritual spiritual aspect is your connection with all that you know makes you. That is intangible. That is you know. Uh, so uh, it doesn't need to have that religious connotation. Kara, we're going to go to you in a second, and we just have a comment here uh, or question for you. What do the Vikings think about free will when life sucks versus following the fates where you your life is a dream? the the vikings and and i i first let me classify i i would like to take just a moment and say vikings were never a people they might be a tv show they might be you know a, a really good sales pitch but technically the it's word actually viking, a, it's a verb you actually, go viking yes. it, yeah. yeah right you, so you spend your summer going viking and then you spend your fall during harvest um so um, and so let me just get that out of the way, get that off my chest. Okay, now we're good. Um, but they lived, they lived their free will, and, and they lived intentionally. And here's why. Because they had no choice. Um, they lived intentionally because there wasn't the social uh, network around them that would, that would kind of, for lack of a better word, carry them. So they had to do what it took to, to run a farm, to, to raise, you know, bring the crops, to bring the, 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 all the things that were necessary in those days of survival. Um, there were nine noble virtues 
that we're part of. And believe it or not, a lot of people don't don't know this, but there were, these nine noble virtues were adopted by uh, the particularly the Danes of Denmark somewhere around 300 to 400. So the Danes were, had just come up from Germany and, and they kind of had this idea that there were nine noble virtues that everyone should live by. And, and they did. And the whole community did. It wasn't just the warriors. It wasn't just the chieftains. It was everyone in the community. And those values were things like honor and truth and, and uh, uh, self-reliance, hospitality, um, industrialness, uh, perseverance, courage. These types of values were instilled in the children of these villages from before birth. So like many people in first world countries are now indoctrinated into the monotheistic beliefs of thou shalt follow the Ten Commandments wherever thou goes. We're indoctrinated in that. They were indoctrinated in these nine noble virtues from, like I said, um, from before birth, from before they were drawing air. So um, for them to move through in what we refer to as free will, everything they did was free will. Um, and it was by necessity, sure. Um, you could say it was driven because they knew they had to get the, the crops in the ground and then the crops harvested if they wanted to eat that winter. So yes, there was, there was some of that drive, but they knew that's what it took to live, to support their family, to, to support the clan. Um, and so they knew these pieces were necessary. And that's why um, I think to, to your point, um, they did live intentionally and they did use free will to then do what was necessary to survive in a Arctic, subarctic environment, which, which is no easy task when you don't have heaters and snow machines and, and those types of things to, to make life easier. So well, I hope it, that answers the question. Is it fair to say that on a daily basis they lived their lives intentionally, but they, <clears throat> they, thought, they felt that their path and purpose in life was uh, predestined? I think there was always that, you know, if we go back and we look at the the ideology or the, the, the thinking when we read the sagas about the the Norn sisters who were referred to as the fates um, to to Norse and, and Celtic even comes back into my beliefs, Celts, where we believe that you essentially in life, you have two paths. One path is dictated by the fates, and it, it essentially just meets the bar. So it just slides over the emotional control bar that allows you to move on to the spirit realm after your, your passing. But it, it, it's not a whole lot of emotional range. It's, it's literally just the low end of the bar, right? And then you have this other path that you can take, which then says, I choose. I'm intentionally living my life. I'm going to deploy my use of free will and I'm going to make my choices. And some of them are going to be horrible and you're going to have to learn, you know, the ramifications to that choice. But you, you're, you are now in charge in lieu of being driven. And this is where we come back to that, that living intentionally versus the, the, the path of the fates, we call it. 
and and the fates then became kind of synonymous with um i'm not you know i'm i'm just kind of accepting so it's more of a victim mentality if you will um which has never been productive in throughout history well no that is it is the victim mentality that often keeps us in that pain that mental pain so agreed Yes, uh, I honor your journey, Mark, and the people that you're helping. Uh, I found that when I had a traumatic brain injury and an NDE with it, um, not only was it difficult to manage, but I was put in touch with doctors that um, uh, were, would give me a diagnosis and a stigma as opposed to supporting me. And, and something Christopher mentioned, if a person that was very spiritual said, I want to help you or I can help you with management and discernment and meet me where I was, not, you know, picking away, then I would be in there and, it, and nobody would have to say anything about spiritual because the biggest difficulty I faced was discernment and management and learning tools um, as I progressed to um, to be able to, to continue to grow. And then when you create the space, you can actually at some point breathe a little and look inside and say, okay, what's here? Um, right. What do I wanna work with? How can I expand it? And actually, if there's a community, and it sounds like that's what you're doing, Mark, that can meet you as somebody who's not rank and file there's a place for you. You don't have to be this, you know, that's such a gift. Thank you. And, and you're exactly right. And, and to your point, uh, very much, you know, science has always had a very um, interesting relationship with spirituality in that, you know, we're seeing now where many of these uh, uh, traditions that have been handed down for generations, generations after generations, are now being scientifically kind of going, oh, aha, it works. It's real. Um, so I, I think, you know, and we started to see that, and, and I draw everyone's attention to the, you know, right at the end of the Vietnam War, where we really begin to understand the power of visualization and that, that internal processing, um, that, that chemical control, and, and certainly that, that visualization that allowed us to, to actually physically make changes to the body. And, and, and we saw that, and, and uh, I, I really believe that that kind of set, even science, on a path of discovery that I, I think that we're going to see, particularly over the next couple of years, given the lockdowns and all the things that we've gone through worldwide here in this pandemic, I, I really have a feeling in my heart that we're going to see a lot more of those discoveries where science is coming back and saying, oh, wait a minute, this thing that you've been doing for 1500 years, yeah, it works. And here's the scientific evidence to prove that. So I, 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 I believe that in my heart. Uh, you know, we've, you know, if I can, I, I am by no means a, a brain scientist or a brain surgeon guy, nor do I work for NASA. So I'm not a rocket scientist either. And if I can figure out that these chemicals are what alters really your, your whole thinking 
and will ultimately alter you as a person from the time you are conceived until the time you leave this physical form and, and join the spiritual realm. The, you know, if I can do that, science has got to figure it out that it's like, oh, well, maybe we're overthinking this. And well, so well, I, well, perhaps I, I not thinking it about it at all. Uh, and I mean, it's not for nothing that, uh, you know, when we study psychotherapy or educating psychotherapists today, uh, one of the modules that you have available to study is uh, transpersonal uh, uh, psychotherapy. So that, which is very much, you know, and the core of any, uh, at least the psychotherapy education or training that I've come in contact with, it is body, soul, and mind, right? right. So we, we have those three elements and it's, it's not just sitting there listening to someone's story day in, day out. It's, it's really understanding, going in, understanding, you know, what, what is it that, makes you and what is it that you have experienced and how can we bring that forward and make those experiences part of your story your hero story as opposed to your victim story and it's bringing those forward and making them become parts of your uh, be, be your gifts and your strengths as you move forward uh, make them your superpower um, so the uh, from a shamanistic perspective, and uh, uh, if you want to just give us an idea as we round out the hour here now, kind of what is some, uh, from your journey to where you are today, uh, what, what are some of the key takeaways that you want people to uh, kind of ponder uh, as they sit down and meditate and uh, how they uh, look at themselves as it were well that that would be the first you you took the words right out of my mouth um the first thing would be some meditation um some introspection is um necessary for a multitude of reasons um the first thing um i find in many people i work with is um, they don't understand their relationship with the deities, whatever deities they have. I, I, I never point and say, oh, you know, you have to be this way or you have to think that or you have to believe this. But what is your relationship? What is your personal relationship to your deities? What is your personal relationship with the spirituality around you? Um, and, and what I'm trying to get them to understand is this the, the value of stilling the mind and the heart it is so important because it allows us to clear it allows us to heal it allows us to do so much within ourselves when we can just stop breathe and and take an introspective look at those minute things that are trapped in our memory that are going to trigger at some point and cause a a erratic behavior or erratic understanding so um, just being able to do that part um, will take you I believe it it establishes a journey of understanding yourself what what it takes to be you um, because that's a full-time job um, it really is just being you is a full-time thing um, and so um, 
understanding that you are so, so unique, so unique. I mean, by the time we get through the genetics and the chemistry, there is no two people who have ever existed in the history of humankind that are identical. And it is so, so important that we recognize how exciting and unique you are. But most importantly, I think, um, is that you understand that it is so wonderful to be unique. You present to the world a different perspective and a different way of looking at things that could benefit every human who's ever lived. And so just understanding how important you are and how unique you are. Um, I use an analogy in my teachings and I will teach you the analogy because it's, it's the greatest analogy of life. I learned it from a, a, a master in Mongolia. So it's, it's good as gold. And what the analogy says, or what the story says, is if you gather nine people, and I apologize, the word, the number nine is pretty sacred in the Norse. So nine is the number I use. And you gather them in a circle around a puddle a puddle of water and the nine people are all looking at the puddle. They will see the puddle from a different perspective. Every one of those nine people sees a different perspective of the puddle. And for us to truly experience life, we must step to the right. The whole circle shifts to the right, shifts to the right, shifts to the right until we get back to where we started. What we will find is now we have a full perspective of the puddle. And that, that, is, that is an analogy of our lives. And so providing those other eight people for me provides me with a different perspective that helps me to better understand the challenges that I have and the challenges that others will face where Having a different perspective is, is, it can be the difference between uh, conquering whatever it is or not. And so that's your value to this world, to this life. And so helping people understand that. Beautiful, Mark. I uh, really appreciate that wisdom that you bring to us and uh, the analogy of uh, the, the bird's eye perspective of uh, your experiences and the uh, your, your life experiences. So really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, the question came up here in the uh, chat. Uh, how can people reach you, Mark? Well, um, the best way to get a hold of me, um, they can they can certainly go to my website and there's a lot of information on there. I've been told that it's, it's, it's a little overload. So uh, <laughs> be careful sometimes. Um, but HTTPS colon slash slash AK for Alaska, Ulf Hefnar, and Ulf Hefnar is spelled on the website anyway, U-L-F as in Frank, H-E-D-N-A-R.com. And you can go to that website. Um, there's, there's a place where you can ask questions. There's, there's a lot of information on the page. Um, and uh, you can also reach me at shaman. Ah, I see someone typed it. Oh, that's you, Chris. Okay. Um, um, and you can reach me at shaman 
S-H-A-M-A-N at akulfhefner.com. And you can email me morning, noon, and night. I keep the craziest hours. Um, I love being a shaman here in Alaska. So um, I, uh, I'm busy all the time. But I, I love to hear um, experiences. And again, the gift of perspective uh, is, uh, yes, wow, you're fast, Chris. I try. <laughs> also, I'm, I, I'm going to include the um, contact details in the uh, episode notes that when I release it on Friday, the recording, uh, as well as in the Telegram group for the uh, uh, discussion group. So... Uh, and so finally, so finally, I would propose, Chris, um, in May of this year, uh, we are releasing a book. And so yes. I will shamelessly plug my book, um, which will be available. Um, the book uh, is called The Turn to Final. You can actually find out information uh, for it on that website as well. Um, there's a the, the little preview thing, introduction and the table of contents. But the, the book is really about, it makes a link between the science and the spirituality. And so I talk about the, the, the genetics, I talk about the chemistry, I talk about how that affects our lives. And then uh, the end of the book is how do I, how do, does the reader um, take the information that they've just processed over the last five chapters and uh, go forward and, and uh, apply that to their lives? Um, I do not lock anyone into any spiritual beliefs one way or another, um, whether you sub subscribe to monotheism, polytheism, or atheism, um, it's completely on you. Um, I just simply provide the, the steps of stilling the mind, learning to meditate and the value of meditation. And so that's kind of where I go. So that book, uh, again, May of this year, um, hopefully uh, bluefortune.com is the publisher, hopefully. Right. But I think uh, they can, everybody can uh, sign up on your website and they'll get uh, information about that, right? That is correct. Yep. You can sign up for, to get on the list early if you'd like to get a, a copy early. So it does promise to be a pretty good book. I know the author. He's a good guy. <laughs> we'll look forward to Mark, and uh, uh, it uh, is sure to be a uh, very interesting and uh, wise read to uh, have on your bookshelf. Uh, I hope so, and to use it, uh, of course. Well, while we're while we're getting ready to go, I, I just want to say to all of those who joined us today, uh, thank you so much. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, people are intimidated. To, to be educated in the spiritual realm. And, and they, they most often, um, they allow um, stigmas and whatnot to be, to kind of dictate their behavior. Um, when we begin to reach outside of ourselves and we begin to see a much bigger picture of the world around us, um, I believe we become healthier, we become more knowledgeable and wise. Um, it, it, life gets a little bit more simpler. And, and I, I know that sounds cliche, if you will, but it, it really does. You know, as my life has become more spiritually centered, uh, it, it's become more simplistic. 
I don't have to keep track of so much and it's not, there's not chaos in my mind uh, nearly as much as there was before. So I, I encourage each of you to discover your paths, feel passionate, live intentionally. So thank you for joining us today. And thank you for allowing me to come on your show, Chris. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, Mark. And uh, uh, it's been a true pleasure learning about your journey and your perspective on uh, your work and how you help people. And uh, uh, we appreciate you showing up as a role model in, uh, in the communities where you have access and uh, help kind of lifting the frequency of humanity and the collective consciousness. So really appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for joining in today and uh, for uh, sharing your wisdom, sharing your questions, and, uh, yeah, bringing your energy to make this uh, talk and discussion uplifting and uh, of high frequency. So thank you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Mark and that you were able to uh, take some different uh, perspectives away from uh, how I normally things and uh, even though Mark and I speak the same language as it were, we come from different perspectives and which is very helpful to uh, share nuances of the same topic. And if you want to reach Mark or uh, pre-order his book coming up for release in May, you can go to his website akulfhedenar.com. You can also go to the show notes for this episode and you will find the links there. And of course, if you're looking for mentoring or coaching concerning any of the topics in today's discussion or in any of our past podcasts, you can reach us at thealchemyexperience.co.uk and on there you can... uh, book a 30-minute free consultation to explore if we are the right place for you to explore your mindfulness and your path uh, going forward. For now, I wish you all the best and I look forward to hosting you at our next episode coming out on Friday next week. Take care now. Bye.